Good morning, everyone. All right, let's read the word of the Lord together. This is John chapter 6, verses 51 through 71. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that, that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Wow. Tough saying. And I'll be honest with you, I don't have a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down today. This is, this is a hard saying that Jesus says. And I'm going to try to give some illustrations and try to give some explanations. But at the end of the day, guys, if you want the sermon today, you just heard it. Like, it doesn't get any richer than what Jesus said. It's really all you need to hear today, this, this startling saying. Jesus says, his flesh is the bread of life, the source of life, and his blood is the wine you are seeking, as it were. Jesus wants you to have life today. Real life. And he's going after everything in your life that would come in the way of that. 
So this is, this is going to be a heavy sermon today. Get ready. Strap on your seatbelts. But it's full of grace. It's, it's, that, it's that moment in The Matrix where Neo sits down in front of Morpheus, right? And he's got the red pill and the blue pill. And nothing's ever going to be the same. You have to make a choice. That's the kind of moment that Jesus brings up to over 5,000 people. And a lot of them, what do they choose to do? Walk away. Wow. Wow, the startling saying. So three points today. Why Jesus said it. What he meant by it. And how we can apply it. All right, you guys ready? Right, just pray real quick. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today that um, where I felt as a messenger, that Holy Spirit, you would warm our hearts to the truth of the gospel, that you'd speak to us, and that you would just have your way, that we would see Jesus in a whole new light, in a whole new way today, and that we would have life as a result. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, so why does Jesus say this? Jesus presents this crisis. He creates drama, literally. A crisis moment where you have to choose. Like you can't just keep coasting. You can't just keep following him. You have to make a choice. It's a decisive moment. Are we going to feast upon him or are we going to keep eating the stale bread that we've been eating? Am I going to follow him or am I going to walk away? What am I going to do with Jesus? This kind of saying, this crisis moment, doesn't leave you with much of a choice. You have to choose one way or the other. It's a fork in the road. Why does he do this? Because the truth is, and this is an alarming statement, you can follow Jesus and not believe. But I go to church. I read the Bible. I'm here on Sunday, aren't I? I would have given if the iPad wasn't broken, you know? I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Jesus, what does Jesus say in Matthew 7? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, many, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? How many of you guys have casted out a demon? I mean, that takes super spiritual muscles, right? You have to have like holy water and all kinds of stuff. You really got to be a true disciple to cast out demons. Many will cast out demons and many will do mighty works in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I love Jesus because he goes after not just those of us who are far away from God and caught up in our sin, but he goes after the religious of us that think we have it all together. Yeah. And this isn't about some checklist of good behaviors. It's not about certain doctrines to be believed. It's about this. And let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? That's what he says in verse 56. If you eat my flesh and if you drink my blood, you will abide in me and I will abide with you. Are you feasting upon the life of Christ? Because you can follow him and not believe. Apparently, many of them were. The Father hadn't granted them faith to come. And Jesus makes it clear they're following for their own reasons. 
God, I love what C.S. Lewis says. God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or on my love in order to find out their quality. God knew their quality already. It was I who didn't. Do you see what he's saying there? Jesus is creating a crisis moment because he wants you to see whether you actually believe. It's not for him to find out. He knows whether you believe or not. It's for us to find out, to test our metal, so to speak. Do I really believe Jesus is enough? And it's pure, it's pure grace that Jesus has this moment. Isn't that grace? If I could summarize this passage in one sentence, it's this. We have true life as we feast upon the life of Christ. Verse 57 He says, as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. But get this today, guys. In order to feast on him, you have to put down the bread you've been eating. In order to pick up the bread of life, you have to put something else down. If we can catch a vision for this today, if we can catch a vision for this today, we'll have life. And you're going to be one of the two people today. And like, honestly, if I preached as good as Jesus, most of you would get up and leave. That's hardcore, man. How do you do it? How do I want to have a better outcome to this sermon than Jesus did? <laughs> wow. So what is he actually saying? We, we know why he's saying it. He's saying it for grace. Actually, I love this. I love this. Uh, it's, where is it? And... Um, what is his aim? Uh, basically, because he goes, he goes from 5,000 people to 11. Like, uh, the title of this sermon could be How to Kill a Megachurch in One Sermon. <laughs> like, worst sermon ever, Jesus. That was not good. Like, you could have built a church here, 5,000 people. You could have been famous. You could have, like, they're ready to enthrone him as king. And then why do you have to go and do this? He wouldn't mess it all up. Everyone leaves. He turns to his disciples and said, hey, are you guys going to leave too? And they said, uh, where are we going to go? You have the words to eternal life. So Jesus isn't trying to build a mega church. He's not trying to win a popularity contest. He's not trying to be crowned as king. What is he trying to do? What's his aim? We see it at least five times in this passage. That he says this, he's doing this, he's saying these things, that they would believe and have life. Why is Jesus saying this? He says in verse 29, verse 35, verse 40, verse 47, verse 51, he says it over and over, that you may believe that you may have life. Why is Jesus creating drama and crisis? Why is he putting a fork in the road? Because he wants you to believe. He wants you to have life. This is grace today. It's good news. And we have to ask ourselves, why am I here today? Like, seriously, am I just in the crowd? Do I actually believe Jesus is the source of life? Hmm. So, point number two. What is he actually saying? Let's go to verse 53. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. If you eat, you have life. If you don't eat, you will not have life. Pretty clear comparison there. So it's pretty important that we know what he means by eating his flesh, right? Pretty. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what does he mean? Sounds pretty gross, firstly. Sounds like cannibalism. To people following the Mosaic Law at this time, it sounded really offensive because Mosaic Law said you cannot eat anything flesh that still has life in it. You cannot eat anything with the blood in it. You can't drink blood. Like, so it's doubly offensive. Like, first of all, cannibalism, and secondly, it's against the law, you know. (laughs) But what does Jesus mean? The answer is the same thing we saw last week, and Kenny did a great job. Thanks, Kenny, for that. Good sermon, man. In John 6.35, Jesus said this. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he was saying that coming to him as the bread of life to satisfy the hunger of your soul is the same as believing on him. You guys see that? That's what believing is. It's being satisfied in all that God is for you in Jesus. And we see the same thing in verses 40 and 54, except he's using a lot more graphic language. He's really trying to get to the heart of it. And he says this in verse 54, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then look at verse 40. See if you can note the the similarity. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do Do you guys see the parallel there? What does it mean? To Jesus, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, what does it mean to him? Well, it's a figurative way of Jesus saying this. Guys, believe on me. Trust me. Come to me as the source of life, for nourishment, for life. Quit looking for life everywhere else. Come and dine. See, Jesus wants you to experience life. He wants you to. So he gives you everything that he has. He actually gives you his own life. He gives you his own flesh and blood. And he says it now in this figurative, metaphorical way. But in a few weeks, we know from the story it's not going to be a metaphor anymore. He's literally going to pour his blood out on a cross and his flesh is going to be broken for the life of the world. It's going to get beyond just a cool little speech that scares a bunch of people off. And it's going to be really offensive. St. Augustine said this, Believe and you have eaten. But why is it offensive? I mean, it's got to be more, it's, it's not just that it's the cannibalism kind of a thing. It's not just the Mosaic law. It's offensive here today still for us. And I'll, I'll tell you why. It challenges our heart in this because it shows our heart for what's truly going on. The truth that our hearts want God for his stuff and not for himself. That's why this saying is every bit as offensive today as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus is, he's creating this moment of tension and crisis where he says, guys, you have to make a choice. Do you want me or do you want anything else? And I know what you're saying, because like when I saw this and I was praying through it, I'm like, 
surely he can't mean that. And the Holy Spirit was like, he does mean that. And don't call me Shirley. It was tense. I had to break it up. Surely he can't mean that. But what about, what about the good things? I mean, I know there's bad things out there. I know there's addictions. I know there's things that are wrong, self-centeredness and not. But what about the good things? What about, I mean, family? He can't mean that we got to love him more than that. Or like food? I got to have food to live. Water? Air in my body? Come on. Jesus can't want me to love him and desire him and want him more than air. Could he? I love this story. Um, you guys uh, heard of Socrates? Anybody? Yeah, cool. Famous dude. Um, he's walking through the village, and this young guy wants to follow him, who ends up being Plato, but wants to follow him and, and follows Socrates and says, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. And uh, Socrates just kind of looks over his shoulder casually and keeps walking. He walks through town. The guy keeps following him. And pretty soon he gets to the edge of the water, and he just keeps going, steps into the water. And he's like, well, I said I want to follow him. I better follow him. So he wades out into the water, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Socrates grabs him, turns around, dunks him under the water, and holds him under. And the guy's gasping for air. You see the bubbles coming up. And right at the last second, he lets him up right before he dies. He says, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And he says, when you want truth, as much as you want that air in your lungs, you're ready to be my disciple. And I get the sense from this passage that Jesus is saying, you've got to want me as much or more than anything else in your life. I will not be second to anything. Anything that you put before God will ultimately be where you look for life. Anything. And the, the thing that sucks about that is as we look to these other things for life, we're continually missing out on true life. Like we're gobbling up the counterfeit bread. It's like sitting at Ruth's Chris and like sneaking in Carl's Jr., Think about it. I mean, if there's an eternal creator God, if that's true, and what he says is true, and this life is really about this life, but it's about this eternal life beyond, then what good does money do if you don't have God? What good does food do? I mean, if you're going to live forever, we're all going to pass away in this life. We get like 70 years, and there's eternity what good does hair do if you don't have God? Jesus says it this way in Matthew. He says, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? If there is nothing more important than making God number one in your life, then the most gracious thing God can do is challenge your priorities. And that's, that's what he says. Jesus says, hey guys, you want this bread? I'm the true bread. I'm the living bread. Come down from heaven. I want to give you something lasting. I want to give you myself. Uh, no thanks. But I'll take more of that bread though. You know, if you quit talking funny. Quit talking weird about eating you. They didn't want him. They left him. 
I, I sense a parallel here too in John 4. You remember Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and he says, he's talking to her about water from the well. And he says, I'll give you living water so you'll never thirst again. It's like Jesus keeps talking in these metaphors to really make us look inside and say, what are my desires? What are my motivations? What are the affections, the things that I want more than God? I remember um, a friend uh, telling me a story that in Africa, they, they had done this missions trip and they dug this well. And um, the well was, I mean, obviously it's awesome because you got these kids that are drinking out of muddy puddles all over the place. You remember this story? Kids drinking out of muddy puddles all over. And, and so they dig this well and all the kids from the village surround it. It's like, ooh, clean water. That's what it tastes like. It's amazing. And then a couple of days later, they came out, and the kids were drinking out of the muddy puddles again. I said, what in the world? They go check. Yeah, there's plenty of water in the well. What are they, why are they doing this, they asked. It's because it's what they're used to. They're used to the muddy puddles. Guys, we all have our puddles. We all have our sources of life, our way of trying to find life apart from Christ. Every one of us. Whether you've never trusted in him, and hopefully today you will, or whether you've been following him for years, we still have our things, don't we, that we go back to, that we look for life from, apart from him, apart from his plan for us. And when our source of life gets challenged, I'll be honest, it's easy to walk away sometimes. Most of them did. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's, it, it's a question of whether God is a means or an end. Um, I love this story, uh, like the, the girl who's, who's got rich parents, right? And the guy's like, I love you. So he marries her, and her parents pass away, and they don't leave her the money. They leave it to her sister. So he leaves her. What do you say about this guy? He married her for what? For the money. Yeah, he didn't love her. He loved her money. She was a means to some other end. She wasn't the end in herself. And the truth is, like, if we're honest, I think a lot of us in our own ways have married God for his money. We follow him for what we get from him. The blessings of life, the hope of, maybe even the hope of eternity. You know, your get out of hell free card, afterlife insurance. You guys know what I'm talking about. Blessings in this life. Security. And he becomes this cosmic genie if we're not careful. He's a means to something else. He's not an end in himself. And Jesus is saying, I can't be that. I'm all or nothing. It's all or nothing, baby. I'm here. I'm standing right here. Will you take me for life? So when Jesus confronts these followers, he's, he's doing it out of love because that's the only way to find true life is in abandoning your life. Do you guys see that? So I love that too because it's not cheap grace that just says, I'm going to leave you where you're at. He meets you where you're at and then he says, but I'm going to bring you from this death you've been living in. Right? It's like you've been living this life eating out of trash cans. And he comes to the alleyway and he says, look, you have to die to that life of eating out of trash cans so that you can come dine at my table. 
Like, so you can experience real life, real food. Do you guys, are you tracking? It's grace. It's pure grace. And it's heartbreaking because so many people at the end of the day decide that Jesus isn't enough. We want your bread, but we don't want you. There's two responses. And which group are you in today? There's the one response that says, this is crazy. Who can believe it? That's not what Jesus meant. I can't buy it. No, thanks. I'm out. Or there's the other side, the, the 11. 11 out of more than 5,000. He says, I don't even fully understand this yet, but I'm not going anywhere. You have the words to eternal life. Which group are you in today? In a brief note, I, many in the crowd left, but I mean, Jesus picked up crowds again. You see him marching into Jerusalem and People are waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. After the resurrection, how many people are in the upper room? 11? That was 120. Right, so people followed him again. Maybe people from this crowd chose to follow him again, right? Some of them may have come back. I mean, that's my testimony. How, how many of you would admit it? There's times in your life where Jesus comes and says, am I enough? Are you willing to put that down and have me? And we say, check back with me in a month. Yeah, I'm not quite there yet, Jesus. Like the disciple that comes to Jesus and he says, you know, hey, I want to follow you. Just got to bury my dad first. What's Jesus say? Let the dead bury their dead. Come and follow me now into life. Another guy comes to Jesus and says, hey, I'm ready to follow you. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. The foxes have holes. And the birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. So Jesus is, people are wanting to follow him, but he's challenging the thing they hold highest in their life. The rich young ruler. You guys remember that story? He wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus tells him, sell everything you have and give the money to the poor and come and follow me. I remember I was on Sabbath, uh, sabbatical, took a time off of preaching and just remember that I'm a Christian and my identity is not in ministry. That's a needful thing. And I took a sabbatical, and, and during that time, I was reading that passage of the rich young ruler, and it was like Jesus just was like right there in the room and spoke to me and right in my heart and was like, Vince, I'm asking you the same thing. Are you willing, we talked about that this week, are you willing to lay down everything? to give your money to the poor, your riches, and to follow me. And that story had never really resonated with me because I grew up in the hood. I'm not rich, never have been. And he said, are you willing to give up your riches and follow me? And I, it was like the Holy Spirit made me aware, what are my riches? Uh, I've got my wife and kids who I care about so much, sometimes I, sometimes I care about them like, more than I care about God. I idolize them. Got this company I was running at the time that I was finding a lot of pride in its success. That was, yes, achievement. And ministry. And I would preach a sermon and people would come up after me and pat me on the back and say, you nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. Riches. I feel great. Are you ready to leave all of that behind and, and follow me? I know he wasn't saying, will you leave your wife in a, in a literal sense. 
But in your heart, are you ready to walk away from everything from me? See, Jesus in that moment was trying to bring healing into my life. Will you let me be number one? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Will you take hold of life today? So how do we apply it? Some questions for you to just think about here. Where, where are the areas you're looking for life outside of Christ? What are, what are the loaves of bread and the cups of wine, if you will, that you're choosing over him? What are you living on? What's sustaining your life besides Jesus? And maybe you've believed and you're like, I, I get it. I get the principle. I've heard it a million times. But I don't know how to stop wanting this other bread. I don't know how to make Jesus central. I'm trying. I, I really am. But I'm not sure how. How can we apply this today? How can we stop wanting these things? Jesus tells us in the passage. Jesus gives us a hint. Verse 58. He says this. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. They ate it, they're dead. This is different. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What is he saying here? He's saying, you want this bread. Listen, I'm the true and better bread. I give life, I give eternal life. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you'll have life. Whatever you've been putting before Jesus, maybe some of it's bad stuff, maybe some of it's really good stuff, his gifts, his blessings in your life, but you've elevated them. Whatever those things are that have your affections, you get to start seeing Jesus as the true and better version of it. Just let that sink in for a second. You get to start seeing Jesus as the true and better version of it. Verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Next time you're driving through Fashion Valley and you see true food kitchen over there, remind yourself Jesus is the true food. I wrote that down. You notice what Jesus isn't saying? Jesus is not saying, don't eat bread. He's saying, I'm the true and better bread. I am the real bread. See, we have two approaches to to our affections, to things that rule our life, to things that, if we're not careful, we want more than God. Two approaches. And we're in a time of Lent, so we really know this to be true for those of us observing Lent. The first approach is asceticism. Where you step away from something altogether for a time, some people do it forever. I'm never touching that again. I'm never going to drink that again. I'm never going to do this again. Asceticism. The other approach is hedonism. Hedonism. Piper talks a lot about this. Learning to keep God ultimate and to worship him through those things. What does that look like? What does it look like? Remember that. Next time you take a bite of bread, here's a simple illustration. Remind yourself that Jesus is the true and better bread. Next time you take a sip of wine, remind yourself of the goodness of God, that he gave life to you through his blood. Does that make sense? 
How can you worship God through his gifts? Through the wonderful things he's placed in your life. Instead of those things coming between you and God, how can they be, instead of a stumbling block, a stepping stone in your relationship to God? I know in Lent we have a bit of both. Um, we end up giving things to remind ourselves that he's really what we're seeking. Nancy and I gave up Netflix. That's one of the things we gave up because we love Netflix, firstly. Um, secondly, because after a long, hard day, one of the favorite things that we tend to do at the Larson household after we tuck the kids in bed and have 45 minutes of prayer every night. Um, no, <laughs> I wish. Um, what do we do? Like, it, we're tired, we're burnt out. We turn on Netflix and veg. I know none of you guys do this. You guys are much more spiritual and holy than our family. But that is what we tend to do. So during Lent, we said, let's give that up. Let's take a step back from Netflix. Why? Because I just want to rest. I want to turn my brain off and go into a vegetative state. But is that real rest? No, it's not. In fact, what scriptures say my real rest is? Jesus, yeah. Jesus. So how can I take a step back from something that I'm finding rest in but not really resting and find Jesus to be my true rest? Are we tracking? Maybe you gave up some food item for lunch. Maybe you like rolling things down the concrete and you're giving that up for Lent. Maybe some of you haven't given that up for Lent. That's okay. Right? How can Jesus be your source of pleasure, your source of strength and sustenance? Or maybe you gave up social media for Lent, right? To step away from it, right? Because now you can see Jesus is your companion. He's what I need. He's your source of affirmation. He's your like button. I like you. And we don't say these things are all bad. I grew up in a version of Christianity that had that. Where anything that came between you and God, you had to demonize and put it away forever. But in the gospel, we get to really see these things redeemed. We get to see Jesus as number one and start to worship him through his gifts. We just learn to allow these things to point our hearts towards him. We allow romance movies to point us towards the greatest love of all, the one who left his everything so that he could have his bride. You guys tracking? I could go on and on, but I I think you guys are starting to get it, right? There's a way in which you can look at the bread of this world and allow it to point you to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say don't eat bread. He says I'm the true and better bread. So what are the things in your life that you're turning into bread? And of course, And Sundays are celebration days. They're days that we remember the resurrection. They're days that we get to celebrate. And uh, so we enter back into those habits or things, but we do them as worship with a heart full of thanks. Today, I'm going to watch Netflix. I promise you. (laughs) Lord willing, I will watch it. But I get to watch it not as a source of rest. I get to worship Jesus while I'm watching. I get to connect with him. Maybe I'll even look for the gospel implications of the storyline and cause my heart to worship God through his goodness. Are you guys, we're tracking? I know that's kind of an ethereal thing, so I want to make sure that it, it, it made sense. 
It's, it's sunk in. And maybe you say, that sounds great in theory, Vince, but what, that's not going to change my heart. I don't just need behavior modification. I don't just need a better way of looking at stuff that can become addiction. Like, what's actually going to change my motivation? And I'll close with this. It's, it's the gospel. If you need the right motivation, nothing will awaken your appetite like seeing Jesus as the bread of life. Nothing will warm your heart like looking at Jesus. See, God, God isn't asking you to do something that he isn't willing to do himself. Jesus did this already. As I close, I just want you to think about this. Jesus actually made God number one. He trusted the Father. He submitted his entire will to the Father. In fact, remember what Jesus said in John 4? He said, my food is to do the will of my Father. And he followed God's will even to death. Why would Jesus do that? Why would God allow, or why would Jesus allow God's plan to rule over his? Why would he submit so much of his life? He did it because he loves you. So that you could have life. So that you could feast on him. So that you would have new eyes to behold his love and his grace for you. So that you would have a new heart to accept his calling to come and die. And here's the cool part. He didn't stop there. Because at this last supper, the first communion table, what does Jesus say to his followers? He says this in John 14. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, you to your, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Do you see that? As we close, do you see that you are not alone? That God has given you his gospel to warm and transform your heart. God has given you his Holy Spirit to indwell and empower you from within. And you have this hope that Jesus gives us in himself in this passage. And I'll close with this verse. John six fifty one. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. As we get ready for communion today and think about what we're going to say as we get with our DNA group or our significant other, or gospel community. I want to challenge you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Today is another opportunity to taste and see that Jesus is enough. Over communion, I want you to come and confess. And here's three questions that maybe can spark something in you as you, as you think about this in your life. What bread is he calling you to put down so you can taste him? What wine are you intoxicated with that's blurred your vision of him? That he's calling you to, to step away from and, and, and taste the wine that he gives. And what affections is he calling you to see him as the true and better version of? What things in your life have taken his place that he's calling you to say, no, 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 see me through that. Worship me. Maybe put that away for a while. Maybe worship me through that. But either way, I want a relationship with you. I want you to see me as the true and better bread of life.
This bread is his perfect life. Lived in your place. And his blood is, his wine represents this blood that's poured out for your forgiveness of sins. You don't have to stand condemned today. You're forgiven. You're washed if you're in Christ. And you can come and you can remember that you're forgiven, but you didn't only just get a blank slate. You got the very righteousness of God. You got Jesus himself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for your amazing love. You love the world so much that you gave your only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that is, that is what it means to flesh and blood of Christ today is to believe on the work of your son, to trust in him, to put him first. Jesus, thank you for being willing to come and submit your entire life and your, to the will of your father. To drink from the cup that you were given so that we could drink from your life. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you're present right now, convicting hearts, turning us to you. And I pray that as we partake in communion today, we would find you to be enough, that we would possibly put away some things that we've been looking to for life. Or that we'd begin to see those things redeemed as we look to you through them. And our lives would be lives lived in worship to you. Help us to taste and see that you're good in Jesus' name. Amen.